In this episode of Black and Behind the Scenes, we discuss Fox's new development movie on Angie Thomas's new book on the come up, as well as Courtney Kemp's new development deal, new drama series at HBO. And we have an exclusive interview with Felicia Mayer, writer at Netflix's 13 Reasons Why. And we also spoil What Men Want with Taraji B. Henson and Keller Mice Trigger Warning. Yes, we did. So sit back, relax, and get ready for Black and Behind the Scenes. Guys, and we are back. Welcome to another episode of Black and Behind the Scenes. Yeah. Yes, I'm Antoinette. And I'm Brittany. And thank you for tuning in, guys. So, Brittany, what's going on, girl? You know, the same old same. Nothing's changed. It's been kind of a um, slowy. Did you watch the Grammys? No, I didn't watch yeah, the Grammys. Yeah, I did. Yeah, no. I saw the highlights, though. Yeah, yeah. And that's all you really need to that's do. All you I mean, because. And nothing else matters. Pretty much. I'm I am looking forward to watching the Oscars though. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. I actually like watching the award shows. Um yeah, I do like watching them. But the Grammys I was like, eh. Yeah. But I do I am interested to know how um Alicia Keys did. So mm-hmm. because she just doesn't have a personality no, to to host. Yeah. No, like doesn't. I don't even like her on the voice. I don't even watch The Voice, but I just figured that she didn't seem like someone who would be charismatic enough to host. Right, right, Um, right, right, right. She's very talented. Love Alicia Keys, but hosting was something I found a little bit interesting. And I heard that it was okay, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't think she did like, you know. Did horrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, all right. Well, how about you? What's going on with you? Nothing. Um, Just working. Just working. working. Story of our lives, right? piecing together a bunch of puzzles pretty much yeah and so and for whatever reason this year has not been my normal life because normally I'm in the house on the weekends cleaning and cooking and lately I've been out here party hopping and just doing things that you know just like living my best life and I'm like who the hell is this person well that's good I mean 2019 (laughs) is lit we just started the year and you already yeah. Going full force off in a bang. I ain't Something. mad at you. I'm just like, oh my goodness, I need to sleep. Um, yeah, when is that gonna happen? But right. yeah, when you so. did, when you mm-hmm. did. All right. Yeah. <laughs> What's so, going on yeah. in the industry? All right, guys, it's time for the industry rundown. It's time for the industry rundown. Fox is currently developing a movie on The Hate You Give's author's new book on the come up. So Angie Thomas, the writer of the novel turned movie The Hate You Give that starred Amanda Steinberg and Russell Hornsby, grossed $29.7 million in North America since its release in October in 2008, just landed a development deal with Fox 2000 for her latest book that was, that was released February 5th entitled On the Come Up. Hmm. Okay. So On the Come Up is a story about a 16-year-old girl named Bree who wants to become one of the greatest rappers of all time. She is the daughter of an underground hip-hop legend who died right before he hit it big. So Bree poured her anger and frustration into her first song, which goes viral for all the wrong reasons, and puts her in the center of a controversy. So yeah, um, 
Are you excited about this, Brittany? The book just came out, so I don't think anybody... I'm sure you haven't read it yet. I haven't read it, but um, I did read The Hate You Give, and I, I enjoyed that book. Um, and according to my research, this book is doing really well critically. I'm oh, not. Nice. Um, so it's a favor. Um, I don't know too much about the story details other than what you just said, but... Mm-hmm. Um, Offhand, I don't think this is something that I would be interested in. Angie Thomas is a um, a young adult writer, mm-hmm. which I do read YA books, but I don't know if I would be interested in reading this particular book. Right, um, right. But I'll go see the movie. Mm-hmm. I do find it interesting that um, she has a movie deal for a book that just, Right. So that leads me to yeah. my thought is where I I found it interesting that I thought maybe she had a, a movie deal with Fox with mm-hmm. her books. Mm-hmm. But I searched and searched and I couldn't find anything that actually confirmed that mm. my theory. Mm-hmm. So I'm just thinking they're giving her one off deals based on just the popularity of her books and things like that. And right. the strength of the hate you give, how well that did. And they're just banking on that it will do well again. Um, I'm actually interested in reading um, this book and going to go see the movie just because I didn't do it with the hate you give and I just want to see the comparison right. of the book versus the movie so I'm excited about that right okay so, yeah we'll, we'll see we'll definitely um when it comes out we'll be taking a look at it definitely we'll keep you guys posted congratulations to her yes okay guys and next up on the deck Courtney A. Kemp our girl is set to develop um a corrupt cop drama series at HBO and Lionsgate Interesting. So, yeah. Um, so, if you all don't know, um, Courtney Kemp is the creator and executive producer, um, which is an EP, on the Star's hit show, Power, is now developing a new show entitled Dirty 30, hmm. which is a corrupt cop drama. This is the first project announced under her new development deal that was announced just four months ago. So, the premise of the show is currently set as an, a one-hour docu... Uh, uh, sorry, not documentary, but a one-hour drama based in New York City. And the story, according to Deadline, is that it's a tale of a real-life rogue cop that operates out of New York City's 30th precinct in the early 1990s before a slew of corruption, investigation, and arrest. It is, it is said to... It has been said that the real Dirty 30 cops were engaged in drug dealing, extortion, and a lot of strong army, to put it mildly. Oh, so this is based off a true story? Yeah, it is. It's based off a true oh, story. Oh, I'm definitely more intrigued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, yeah so the storyline is of a, a cop family that ends up, and the story goes into the crime wave, basically, a downhill spiral, basically, from there. So, yeah, so this is an agreement encompasses um, other offers from Liongate to make, um, to take this market for Kemp onto multiple platforms such as HBO. Because I remember we kind of lightly mentioned it and we were like, well, didn't she just get a deal and how's that going to work? Mm-hmm. But her deal was so that she can get her content on other platforms and to expand her brand and to get a wider audience. So... This is one of those shows that will help her do that. But she's still doing the spin, the power spin. Yes, off, right? she's still okay. doing that with stars. On stars. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep, that's still in the works. All right, girl, make them coins then. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so actually, I was going to tell you guys about Facebook ordering Steph Curry's new docu series, but something just broke right before we recorded. And um, if you haven't heard, uh, there will be a Blackish prequel <laughs> coming from ABC. 
A blackish prequel. A blackish prequel. Now, guys, I don't have a lot of details on this because, like I said, this just broke and you won't believe what character they're going to focus on. Rainbow. Yes. Boo. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> there really aren't that many details other than the fact that they are looking for a prequel starring, well, it won't, I don't think it's going to star Tracy Ellis Ross, but it's going to be based off of her character Rainbow as her younger self, I believe. You know what? I can see that because that goes right into ABC's yeah, multiracial, yep. multicultural thing that they're trying to um, yeah. to do. Mm-hmm. I thought but so, But I'm too. not really interested in Rainbow's backstory. I'm not interested in her backstory either because her parents were kooky as hell and I don't want to see that. Okay, but is Kenya a part of this? Because you know he left ABC, so what? what? So that's the, that, but see, that's the thing I think that I don't know if he's going to be a part of this only because they have bad blood. Him, you know, ABC and right. Kenya don't, they don't know, they're not, it didn't end well. So I'm not sure. It's, they're really, it's not a lot of, only thing they're talking about is like how, you know, the Big Bang Theory is leaving this year and Young Sheldon was a hit for them. So they're going to make another, you know, hit from Blackish prequel kind of thing going on that's just their their mo right now they're trying to okay keep they're their trying same. to capture the big bang theory yeah audience. Uh, uh, well with, no they're trying to keep the blackish audience and just keep that revenue going right. because they said it's cheaper to make a prequel than it is to create a whole new show and to build a new audience that's what they said yeah i could see that but are we interested no i don't think blackish is a show that needs a prequel uh, actually, I would like to see Andre's character. But I don't know how well that would do on ABC. Now, maybe we'll if that see, was yeah. on a different network. <laughs> it would be on a different network, but that would be good. growing up. Lawrence Fishburne yeah, 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 yeah. and Jennifer no, Lewis. Are you about serious? That would <laughs> uh, be awesome. I don't know. We'd, I definitely have to, to, see, to see about that. I... Yeah, no, but, and actually, Grownish was supposed to be on ABC, but the target audience was too young for their demographics, so they moved it to Freeform. I, agree. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, yeah, I could see that because, um, what demo of Grownish, anyway, is watching primetime TV like that? Yeah, that's true. They're not doing They're it. They're not doing it. Right. <sighs> okay. okay, well, yeah, right, so. ABC. And story Steph. I'll post um, the Steph story, um, Steph Curry story on our Instagram feed. So guys, go over there and check that out about his new Facebook um, development deal. Okay. Show. Yeah. And that's it for the industry rundown. All righty. All right, you guys. It's time for the spotlight. Innovative, creative, overall black excellence. It's time for the spotlight. All right, you guys. And we're back with this week's spotlight i don't know if you guys remember a couple of episodes ago last season i um highlighted the black women who brunch um photo and um, article that went viral from the hollywood reporter of all the fabulous beautiful melanin black women hollywood writers and we are so fortunate to have one of those writers with us today uh, felicia mary she is a native from chicago currently living in l.a um, she's a writer from 13 Reasons Why, and she has a whole myriad of background in, um, in media, in entertainment, in corporate communication. Um, she has her BS from University of Illinois, but MFA from US, UCLA. And on top of all that, she's in the most illustrious organization as ever. 
Great. What this beautiful planet, <laughs> Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Yes. So, <laughs> thank you, Felicia, for being with us on Black and um, Behind the Scenes. We're so Yay. privileged and honored to have yes. you um, interview with us today. So, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. No problem. <laughs> so, um, I just wanted to get into your background. Like I said, um, you worked initially in corporate communications. You worked for big firms like Golan and big brand communications, brand engagement, um, PR. Can you tell me how is that transition from working in corporate in Chicago to LA? And I also know that you did freelance screenwriting. Did you do that simultaneously? How was that transition from Chicago to right. LA? Well, um, it, um, I was um, everything from consumer PR to corporate communications on the PR side and did a stint in advertising as well. Um, and um, basically, um, I'll start the story a little earlier that in, in undergrad um, or even in high school, I've always had more interest in the arts than anything else. I mean, it was it was what I lived and breathed. I was always in a play every year as an actress, you know, in, in high school, and um, so much so that I actually majored in acting my first two years of college. Um, I went to U of I in Champaign, and um, that real sort of, you know, a lot of people have parents that, you know, get freaked out if they want to be in the arts, you know, but um, I was raised by my great-grandparents, actually, and so they were just like, you in school? Wow, that's good. Beyond, like, you know, eighth grade, that's amazing. Because um, right. it, <laughs> it was my mother's grandparents, so they came from, you know, two generations ahead of me, uh, I mean, behind me, rather, and so they were just fine with me being in school, but I put all these limitations on myself, thinking, well, mm-hmm. how am I going to make money? How am I going to, what does being an actress or being an artist look like, look like once I graduate? Right. I started to panic before anyone told me to really and um I changed and, and I, I didn't love the theater program at the time um <laughs> there um it, and I realized that um you know I love the theater um I definitely wanted to be a screen actress and there weren't a lot of classes that um at, at the school I, you know I wanted to get my like sort of backbone in in acting or in theater um, acting for the stage um, which is great for any actor um but ultimately it wasn't the kind of you know what I lived in breathed was film and television and they didn't really have anything similar to that the only thing they had was broadcast journalism so because I wasn't loving that theater program um, uh, I basically decided to go into broadcast journalism and get my degree in that so that's how it happened because I'm like it's kind of like tv there's a camera you know like uh, I thought (laughs) I, I just and then it felt practical like I know what a reporter is I know what an anchor is I know how you know I see them every day. I know that how that works. That feels, even though that's not a typical job, it feels felt more practical than being in, um, you know, making film or television or acting in film and television. So I then spent, you know, that kind of degree got me into PR, and I spent mm-hmm. all my, you know, working life working in in PR, um, in communications, and um, you know, initially was like, you know, I'm on a track. I'm I'm moving up in titles, and mm-hmm. it feels like, oh successful um businesswoman um but just always felt like I was in a costume almost like you know I was my full I was part partly myself because um that's why I worked for lovely black boutique agencies like Flowers Communications Group in Chicago or and I realized I would gravitate it 
to that, not only because it had a family environment and a great, you know, leader, leadership, black woman, but also just because I could be my full self because it was like people like me. Um, and I wasn't able to do that um, anywhere else, but it still fell off, um, meaning right. I still wasn't what I wanted to do. And no matter how high up I got in the job, no matter how um, well a campaign went or an award we got for it, I, I didn't care that much, you know, mm-hmm. and that's what I, and, yeah. and, you know, and I accumulated the, the things, all the things like the car and the, the uh, you know, condo and, you know, part of Chicago I want to live in and all that stuff. And it just still felt like empty. Uh, I still felt mm-hmm. empty. Like, uh, and every time I saw a movie, I would get a little sad, even if it was a comedy or goodness forbid, if someone was shooting something in Chicago and I walked past the set, or oh, wow. past the set I just would want to cry. Like, and so I'm like, oh, okay, so that's not, this desire is not going to go away. Um, I didn't know about me as an actress um, at that point, um, but I started to think, writing, I can write and, and, and still have my PR job. Cause I was just afraid of, like, poverty. You know, I was afraid of losing right. what I accumulated. I don't know what I was afraid, but it was fear of, like, being broke or something. something. In it. So I didn't want to let go of that day job. So right. I was like, um, I can do that, and then I'll just sell a script from Chicago, and then I'll be able to move to L.A., and then I'll start my writing career. Like, that's what happens. Um, <laughs> but so that's not what happened. Um, and I ended up, um, you know, writing a script with a friend, another writer friend here who had more experience in writing than me and, you know, was nice enough to share books and that sort of thing, like for, you know, for me to sort of teach myself how to, to write. Um, we wrote a script together. We got it in a few hands. Um, you know, in LA, um, but not enough because we, you know, weren't weren't here. Um, so eventually, so after years of that, or you know, I was really barely writing just because I had this demanding day job that was overwhelming and all-consuming. Nothing really happened with that script, and then I didn't really have time to write more like I wanted to. So um, later, I ended up deciding to go all in. I got set up at with my day job and decided, you know what? Do I need a day job? Is there a way I can I couldn't figure that part off and I'm like, you know, part out and when I realized, "Oh, okay, I can go to school, you know, loans will pay for school and maybe I can freelance or something while being in full school uh school full, full time here and then I can go all in and use use loans to live off of or whatever." Um, at, while I learned the craft and while I'm in connections in the industry. And so, but that was after I probably a 10 year or seven year to 10 year difference, I mean, time span between the idea of like, I'll be a writer to I'm going to mm-hmm. go all in and go to UCLA, quit my job, you know, sell things and move here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really, that was a long story <laughs> on how this happened. Um, but I tell it so that people know. It's not. It feels like, oh, you've just been doing this two years, and this thing's this has happened, and this has happened. Meaning, I first got staffed two years ago, but but there was a, there was a lot of. I got out here in 2011. I went to school from then till 2014, um, and then my my writing career. I sold a pilot in 2014, uh, 13 slash 14 um, that I developed with HBO. Um, that what ultimately wasn't greenlit, but that was the first thing I did. But I didn't get staffed on the show until 2017 so there was a two-year gap I had to find another day job here in LA which killed me about mm-hmm. killed me because I didn't want to work in PR when I moved here to be a writer so I felt like a step backwards somehow um, but it was a blessing because I was still able to not worry about money while I still 
you know, have to disappear to go to meetings and, you know, writers' meetings and that sort of thing. Um, and at least I'm, I'm, I'm in L.A., so I'm still closer to it than I was in Chicago. Um, and then after two, a year and a half of working that day job, I did land the first writing job. So that's how that happened. Amazing. Wow. <laughs> yes. Yes. Amazing. That's incredible. Yes. Yeah. I think, so... we, I think Antoinette and, and, and both Antoinette and uh, I can uh, kind of um, relate to that feeling of the stability of your corporate job and not mm-hmm. wanting to lose that type of stability, that fear of um, yes. thinking you're going to be this broke, homeless writer because you, yeah, or, or or actor or what a producer or whatever because you, yeah. yeah, a starving artist because you hear that all the time and so it's hard once you start working in the corporate world and you have health benefits and right. um, 401k to, to make right. that transition, to make that leap but it's like mm-hmm. you said, um, you always have that yearning and your spirit always is unsettled, right? When, when you know that your passion or your dream is to do something else. So, yeah. Yeah, we definitely, definitely can relate. Yeah. So we, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Because they don't go away just because yeah, you're enjoying right. them. You know, and I just didn't right. have regrets. I think that's like the worst. I mean, I think regret, guilt and regret, I think, is what kills folks. What kill folks. Kill folks yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's that's this idea true. that, like, that'll eat you up alive in your old age. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so... I just I always think of future me. Will future seventy year seventy five year old me? What would she say to this? And if I, if she says you wasted my damn time, or what the hell were you thinking when you didn't decide? That? You know what I mean? Like I don't want to piss off a seventy five year old me. That's all I'm saying. That's, right. that's what I live for. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, that's I want her to kick back. You you know, with a drink. Maybe it's a light beer by that point. And just say, <laughs> you know what? You done good by me. You know. Fantastic. So that kind of segues into the next question that we were going to ask of, um, was there anyone in particular, a writer or someone who inspired you to start writing at all? Um, well, what, the person I think that made, made it real for me was Shonda Rhimes. I'm not sure I'm not the first black woman to say that <laughs> or woman writer, period, or writer, period, to say that. But um, I think because once I dug into her story, um, when I, you know, before I moved out here, um, or actually, after De- uh, Grey's Anatomy debuted, I saw that she was from advertising um, world. I saw that she was from the Chicago area, and so I'm like, already, I'm like, whoa, that's really close to what to my life, to me. Um, and so that was what really did, it. and she just crushed it and just became all of ABC basically. Right. Um, and so that to me, that was like, oh well, it's completely doable. Um, so she was a big uh, reference point to me but even like favorite movies um you know uh from the you know like from my lifetime that just inspired me to want to be in the business I, at first again I thought it was acting um but you know when I decided it's interesting cuz I knew I could write um just because as a PR person that's usually a skill you have to have so mm-hmm. I knew I could write I hadn't written creatively much if at all um and but I knew I loved movies, and I knew I loved, you know, the idea of working in, in, in the industry because of my love for um, movies and television. So particularly at the time, though, movies, even over television, um, just because of where television was at the, you know, at the time when I grew up. Um, the the sort of sexy place you wanted to be was in movies. So that was really um, 
you know, like the color purple or um, uh, sun, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, there are all sorts of movies that, you know, even from my, you know, like even super, you know, old movies like, um, I'm trying to think what other really, um, Lady Sings the Blues, um, you know, ones that really sort of I never forgot and made me love the business is what was my uh, or love the idea of making this beautiful, um, telling these beautiful stories, it, it, you know. So my favorite movies inspired me more than anything in, nice. the, in the early stages. But television in particular with Shonda Rhimes. And then seeing great television getting made. Um, once I did get into film school, you know, that's when, you know, it was like Breaking Bad came out. It was like Mad Men. It was like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> this doesn't, is this television? This is awfully cinematic, you know. So I'm yeah, like, oh, right. I decided to switch my focus into television and film school once I saw what was happening in television, that it wasn't yeah. the television of yesterday. So. Okay. So I know you are a staff writer at Netflix currently, correct? Um, I, um, no, actually I was, a, uh, no. my last position, uh, I was staff writer the first season, which is like pretty much, you know, the entry level writing position on a writing staff on, in television. And then, um, so that was season two of 13 Reasons Why, and that was my, um, first job, um, on the staff. And then the second season I worked on, which was wrapped, it, um, we finished the writing, most of the writing of the writer's room wrapped last year, um, toward the end of last year. And that is, um, I was a story editor, which is like a, 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 the next level up, basically. I don't know why it's called story editor. You're not like, quote, unquote, editing story. You're just a writer who's not a staff writer, who's a, a step above a staff writer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, so that story editor was my last um, uh, position um, there. Um, but now I um, am excited that I've, I've sold a series, a television series to BT um, oh, with nice. Will Packer. Oh, yeah, with Will Packer producing. Yeah. So nice. when I kept push, you know, when I kept saying, "Oh, I can do, I can talk to you guys," you know, when I was confused about my schedule, it's because all that's starting up now. Um, uh, I can cool. talk more about that's it later. Awesome. Um, I mean, I can talk generally about it, but you know, in terms of like getting in details, I can talk about it a little later. But that's exciting um, and a true blessing. Yeah. Oh, yes. We'll definitely have to um, have you back on the show to talk about that when it's ready to unravel and, and blow sure. up everywhere. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. So, okay. So for our listeners who um, do not work in the industry, because we have a lot of listeners who don't, they just being in entertainment and media, there mm-hmm. is uh can you explain the subtle differences between a story writer and a story editor, if any? Um, I know they have different credits, um, different responsibilities, but to um, the average viewer, mm-hmm. how can they yeah. differentiate between the two? Well, um, the money, that's really the main. Uh, well, TV pays well overall. Um, TV plays well overall. I mean, the thing is, is that you have to still be good at money management because of, especially with cable and um, shows that are on streaming network, uh, streaming um, services, or networks, like, uh, you know, there's six months usually in the writer's room or a short amount of time. It's not the full year. Like if you got a job on an ABC show and have 24 episodes or 22 episodes or something. So you're dealing with half a season. So you have to be, it pays a lot, but it you also have to save for the months you're not working because you don't oh, know yeah. 
you don't know if you're going to find two six month jobs. So that's that's really tricky to do, you know, time wise. <laughs> yeah. um, so you know, so I will say that. Um, but um, there, one thing that did attract me to television, I, I do recommend that people who are in different industries sort of look at, you know, you especially if you've worked before, like you didn't come right from undergrad to Hollywood to be a writer or something, you've lived in, um, you know, you have, um, what was my point? I lost my train of thought. You live, you have a point of view. I'm sorry, I got an email. And I see, this is what happens when you, when you do sell a show. You're busy <laughs> and distracted. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what's happening now? What's happening? Uh, wait, what, what was your question again? I'm sorry, go right back. Cause they just, I just got. Yeah. So you know. the difference between the story editor and the story, oh, the story editor, and the right? Writer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So, um, so I looked at television to just, you know, I know my skill. My point was that when you've worked other places, you know your skill set, and I know my skill set is working on teams, collaboration. You know, I just know that from PR. So when I saw how TV, and I'm used to like, okay, this is a level that you get to, and this is how you get there, like levels. Um, titles, you know, like corporate America has titles and levels right. um, in a job, and so television does too. And so that attracted me television because something I could digest and I understand struct- structuring um, of a staff. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. and and in movies, you're kind of on your own. I mean, you have a title, you're the writer, but you're just alone. You know, writing your thing, you get notes, whatever. Whereas it's collaborative writing process in television, and so and it's also um, you get promoted up or you get bumped up. Depending on how what your experience is, um, so it so story editor is the same as a staff writer, except you're not going through your sort of breaking in period. Where like as a staff writer, most people are paranoid. This is their first job. They're wondering, they're paranoid they won't get a second one. I mean, right. you're just basically a bundle of nerves. Um, you don't want to talk too much because some people don't like test. staff writers talking too much. You don't know the most, so you shouldn't talk the most. It becomes all of these sort of depends on the room, but it becomes all these sort of things you worry about um, as a staff writer that you don't that some of those things drop off by the time you're a story editor. So if the next show or the same show, if you're if you've been bumped up to a story editor, you kind of know how it goes. You don't have the same, every writer is paranoid, okay? So that's already going to be a thing. But you're not as paranoid because you've done it at least once, you know? And so it, right. it's really money and comfort level. That's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, right. Yeah. And so there are, you know, there are levels all the way up to, you know, executive story editor, then from there is, co- you know, co-producer, then, you know, like producer, supervisor, producer, you know, it just goes right. up and up. Um, to co-executive producer, executive producer. So that I understood. Like, okay, I'm like, okay, that's like getting a promotion, like corporate America. I get it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's how it works. And obviously money is a difference in each of those roles too. But when when you get into producer level titles, when you move up to that, that's when you're, you know, looking at auditions and you're actually producing – you're doing producing responsibility, so it's just beyond the writing, you know, casting, picking direct, you know, collaborating, pick directors, that sort of thing. The Everything outside the writing <laughs> is now on your plate as well. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, all the little nuances that come with it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But has your, um, as you've been writing and over your experience that you've had thus far, um, has any of your personal experience ever shaped a character that you've created? Um, let's see. Or within yeah, any of the I mean, I feel like so, everything yeah. you create should be inspired by a personal experience. <laughs> um, <laughs> or at least a nugget, it should be inspired at least 
the inspiration should come from that, even if it's not a literal depiction of your experience. It it should influence your experience. I, I never forgot um, people talking about like Steven Spielberg and how like oh, but he wrote you know he didn't write it actually, but I mean he directed a movie that was about an alien about E.T. Um, but also the but the main little boy also was a child of divorce, which Steven Spielberg was right. as well. So even right. within a world that is magical or in space, um, you have to find your way into it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so that that is even when I've taught before, like taught screenwriting before, you know, like a couple of classes of screenwriting, that's the thing I carry from UCLA that I definitely tell the people, like, you know, make your stuff personal, especially as a new writer, because that way, that's how your voice is seen, because you can add layers and nuance, because you, you've been through it, or you know it, you know it, you know the emo- emotional truth of whatever it is you're writing, because you mm-hmm. felt those emotions, and so it's gonna, it's gonna rise off the page, and, and the person reading will feel it, because you, you did, and have, um, and you're able to to um, duplicate that in, in in a story well because you lived it. So and I and I think as a new writer that's important. But I think even as a you know a, an experienced writer it's important because otherwise you won't connect to your own material. So it has to come from a place of truth. Um, I believe even if it just starts from a place of truth and then it's all about space. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it yeah. has to have that. It has to have emotional truth to something you feel like you know. Um, I is my belief, you know. Right. So everything so I write, is, characters are part of me. Almost mm-hmm. every character, yeah. Especially the main. That's character. a good way mm-hmm. to segue into the next question because um, you uh, have your experience on Thirteen Reasons mm-hmm. um, Why, and that story is uh, hugely popular. Um, has garnered much success in um, conversations. Um, outside of the television, right, amongst um, small circles or even large circles about the story of Ken Baker. Um, yes. And you talked about emotional mm-hmm. truth. Um, what drew you to the story of Hannah Baker and, and that made you want to attach your name to this particular project? Um, I think it was... Uh, it was an amazing story. It's a, it was amazing writing. Um, the um, when I first I, I ended up getting on second season, but I definitely met with the showrunner about the first season, and so at that point it hadn't even been shot yet. You know, it was just the pilot script. So in reading the pilot script, um, I was like, this is pretty amazing, and and I just automatically saw how this is a story that can go on, go ongoing for like I saw the engine of the story I thought it was the idea of her leaving tapes um you know definitely lent lent, it, lent itself to interesting episodes um focused on each tape you know I it just had the structure from everything I know technically about television that I learned you know in film right. school and just from studying it I'm like oh this has a perfect structure to make a great television show before I even get to what it's about but then when I got to what it's about, um, I'm a comedy writer, uh, ironically, on, you know, this light little comedy called 13 Reasons Why. Um, um, but, yeah, so this is not a comedy, obviously. So, um, but interestingly enough, um, my taste is, uh, even though I'm a comedy writer, my taste is uh, is really dark drama. Um, I, I like things that are 
that make you unsettled, um, uncomfortable, um, but also inspires you um, to do something good for yourself or for others, and that's what the show does. Um, it, nice. you know, we get in a lot of trouble, but that's fine because it's about really, it's really about being truthful and mm-hmm. um, not holding back in trying to, you know, we have trigger warnings. We, ha- you know, all of that is there to let people know, hey, that some of this is triggering because it is a very heavy show. I tell people it's not for everyone, um, right. but for those people who don't want going into darkness to sort of find the light um, mm-hmm. and and offer that light to other people, um, this is the show for them, and that that's who I am. So, you know, I have to go dark just to to be inspired to change things, you know, and so. That's what that show does to me, and I knew it was a show I would watch. Um, um, and I think what's happening with um, kids, because of, especially because of social media and the relentless relentlessness of social media, you never to escape your bullies. Um, yeah. It was such an important show. I knew it was going to be a game changer. And so when I actually met on season to work on season two, by then they had shot the whole season, and I and I watched the whole season. It hadn't it hadn't come out yet. And I said, I'm like, this is going to be a show. Like, I was sure of it, you know, because I saw all of the first season before I had the meeting. And I'm like, this is amazing work. Um, it's going it, to it's, it's gonna, it's gonna do very well. Um, right. And, and, and I'm so honored to have been a part of it because um, it was a game changer in, you know, the kind of television. You know, teen shows are very popular again right now. Um, it, it, it just, it, it was amazing to be a part of it and to sort of watch watch people react to it and not get enough of it um, right. even considering how dark it was they, people could you know the people who loved it it's polarizing but the people who love it love it and um so yeah so it's just what what drew me to it was it's great storytelling <laughs> basically all right you guys i hope you guys enjoyed that um interview with felicia we'll have part two next week yes part two next week more to come guys more to come but for right now let's get into this What are we spoiling today, Brittany? So today we have two two items on the menu. Let's yes. first get into what premiered this weekend in theaters, and that is What Men Want. Mm-hmm. Um, what Men Want, um, starring Taraji P. Henson, um, Richard Roundtree, Tracy Morgan, um, Aldis Hodge, and um, that's pretty much all the good peeps you need to know about who is in the movie. <laughs> um, directed by Adam Shankman, who did um, Hairspray. And um, what else did Adam do? Nothing really. I mean, yeah. nothing of like, ooh, that's him. Right, you know? right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the movie is produced by Will Packard. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite black producers yes. in Hollywood. And um, one of the screenwriters for this is Tina Gordon Chisholm, which um, is one of the writers and director of um, the upcoming uh, movie with Marseille Martin. Um, a Little. Little. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. So she was the one in the screenplay, the screenwriters for this movie. Um, just a little backstory or what this movie is about. What Men Want is inspired by the Nancy Myers hit romantic comedy, What Women Want. Mm-hmm. Um, this film follows the story of Taraji's character as a female sports agent who has constantly been um, boxed out by her male colleagues. Um, so she's hoping to get a promotion. She doesn't get that promotion. She is passed over her um, and given to a younger, um, of course, white male um, colleague. And then when she gains these powers to hear men's inner thoughts by um, Erica Badu, <laughs> who plays the psychic, which um, I thought was perfectly match because she seems like she would be a psychic oh yeah you definitely. know like she was kind of, i guess i haven't seen how her and her husbands whatever that's called mm-hmm. um, but her character <laughs> was very funny in the film anyway so she gains these psychic powers through um i don't know if it's through what erica's body character gave her it was a tea the, right the tea or if it was the hit on the head but anyway she gets the psychic powers mm-hmm. she's able to meet to um read men's thoughts and she hopes to use this newfound power to shift the paradigm in her life, especially in her career. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so. Oh. I mean, okay. Okay. So <laughs> let's talk about the good things. Okay. The movie did pretty well in its opening weekend in the box office. It did 19 million, close to 19 million. What was the budget, budget for? It was 20 million. Okay. All right. Well, all right. Getting that money back. So, Recoup. I mean, that's not bad. <laughs> However, it has like a 47% on Rotten Tomatoes, mm. which is not really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Okay. What is it? Okay. Let me go into it. So, overall, I like the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it is predictable and flawed. But, uh, overall, I thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, much better performances from what we saw from Taraji this time last year when she was in um, oh. Tyler Perry's Acrimony and yeah. Proud Mary. I don't know why I want to say redemption. But yeah. Know, yeah. <laughs> so, she was around this time. She had, Those were her two big movies last year. And they didn't really do well. And her she didn't really get a lot of critical success in that mm-hmm. movie anyway. Yeah. But one of the things that we like about Taraji is that she's charismatic. She's yeah. a um, round the way girl. She's funny. Mm-hmm. And her personality was able to shine through this character. Like nice. she kept you engaged. It wasn't a horrible performance at all. Mm, good. Um, yeah. So this movie is supposed to be a reimagined version of what women want, uh-huh. right? Which um Mel Gibson oh. in 1998 with mm-hmm. Mel Gibson mm-hmm. and Helen Hunt. Right. Oddly enough, I did not realize this was a really successful movie. Did 182 million domestically in box office sales. It was good. I well, I saw that. I used to like well before Mel Gibson is an ass, but um, <laughs> yeah, I loved that movie. It was actually pretty damn good. Yeah. So I mean, it had a lot of hype. Mm-hmm a lot of um expectations to build i like the fact that it was remade with a black woman as the lead mm-hmm. which i think is one of the really good things about will packer's movies like in my opinion his movies aren't like decidedly black movies right um, and by black movies i mean like they're not black 
theme mm-hmm. or black struggle. Mm-hmm. They're just movies, movies with black characters, right? Mm-hmm. That do well in the box office, mm-hmm. like his movies. And my, I mean, they don't flop. They do well. They do. And so I think that that's they do. His, his really good thing is that showing the world that black actors can lead mm-hmm. in the box office. Right. Which is fine. Which is fine, I mean. But let's talk about some of the things that um, is not so great about the movie. Here's why I don't... I, I think the movie fell short a little bit because... What women want was based off of um, white characters, and if we're gonna be honest, what white people go in the work go through in the workplace and what black people going through in the workplace are totally different, and you have to address those differences um, in a way that it would need to make sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, agree. So, in the beginning, it seemed a little bit rushed. Um, and I don't think the gender and the racial swapping of the main character, we needed to see more backstory into um, into why she is the way she is. Mm. Right? So in the original What Women Want, it's easy for us to believe that Mel Gibson's character is entitled and mm-hmm. privileged. Why? Right. Because he's a white male in America. Right. Um, that's like a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of a far-fetched idea for a black woman to have that same entitlement approach. Mm-hmm. Um, Without because, being a certain kind of way. Right, right, yeah. right. Because of the power dynamics. Right. Movement, right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, I just felt like there needed to be more of um, some type of backstory as, as to why she is the way she is. She is assertive. She does mean what she, she you know, says. And um, she's, quote unquote, what they kept saying a lot in the movie, a ball buster. But um, she grew up with a single father. A father on a boxing mm-hmm. club, right? So, yeah, I heard about that on NPR. Guys, I didn't see the movie. I, I didn't have time this weekend. <laughs> but yeah, I did hear about that on NPR. She did do an interview about that. Yeah, so her father owned a boxing gym or a club or whatever they're called. Um, and I think that, although it wasn't really clear, I think her mother left him. And so that shaped how he brought her up, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which then shapes why she's aggressive right. in her career mm-hmm. because he's a black man raising a black woman mm-hmm. and and that was never addressed or never brought up and i felt like that needed some context and yeah definitely um it was kind of brushed over so yeah so i just felt like it needed a little bit more context because taraji didn't have the luxury of being a white male right unlike in what women want um mel gibson's character um was not as good as helen hunt right right so that's why he didn't get the promotion mm-hmm. but um taraji was just as bit as good as her colleagues and so there was a scene in which she thought she was getting partner at this sports agency and she didn't get it and her her boss told her you know, well, you're not good with men. You need to stay in your lane. She mostly represented female athletes like Lisa Leslie, mm-hmm. which is in the movie, by the way, and um, uh, Serena Williams. Serena Williams is one of the biggest athletes 
in the world. Mm-hmm. But yet, this was not enough to garner her success in this yeah. company, which mm-hmm. says another whole yeah. conversation <laughs> that we can have, right? So, you know, she gains these psychic powers. She hears men's thoughts. But it really wasn't needed. Like, what she... When, what Mel Gibson gained through listening to women right thoughts, was a softer side of him he, he learned compassion and right Taraji's character didn't learn any of that because what she heard through men's inner thoughts was exactly what we know what men think about right farts and sex <laughs> and, and, and bodily fluids like there was <laughs> and I kid you not there was nothing that she learned through Mel's inner thoughts that gave her an edge up into their vulnerability I believe or it. what they Girl. wanted or what <laughs> what made them like really tick or different. You know what I'm saying? And I was going to ask you that like what because like you said Mel Gibson in the movie became softer he became gentle he became right. understanding and I was like well what is it that she gained from hearing men's thoughts? Absolutely nothing because um, you know what she did learn about herself that she needed to change about herself because she is a flawed character. She is a, a hard person um, to kind of work with mm-hmm. and be friends with. But what she learned about her flawed character was through actual conversations. So her assistant basically told her she was a horrible person. One of her colleagues told her that you didn't get the promotion because not because you're a female, not because you're a black woman, it's because you're a dick. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, because mm. you don't you don't work with people well and you don't bring us into the fold. Mm. Um, what she learned about her love interest, he straight up told her the reason why things aren't working. It was... <laughs> 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 Contrary to what, like, and I hate to keep comparing what women want, but you have to because that's what this movie is about. Right, is and yeah. So in what women want... Mel Gibson was able to earn insight to give him a, a, a leg up, a leg up in his career mm-hmm. and the personal love life. Right, but in this instance, her being able to hear men's inner thoughts did not give her a leg up. She didn't get the big client that she wanted to sign, and ultimately, her lesson learned was she needed to follow her heart, which is something that women do in the first place. Yeah. Um, hmm. Okay. So I just thought it was flawed in that way because had this had not been a romantic comedy based off that whole premise of this is supposed to be a reimagined what women want this is supposed to be the whole psychic hearing into women's thoughts mm-hmm. I mean men's thoughts and then gaining some type of valuable lesson or right. um, insight into what men are thinking it would have been a good romantic comedy but because it was based off that if fell a little short mm. because it didn't achieve any of those things. I did find it funny that, well, not funny. What it did do was highlight some of the struggles that women go through in the workplace, especially in male-dominated workplaces and what you have to um, deal with mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Uh, there is a scene in which Tracy Morgan plays the father of a... a like a high school basketball phenom that's looking to sign with their agency. And he was like, oh, I don't trust a woman who um, doesn't have a family, right? 
So the movie plays into this whole stereotype of strong black woman, don't need a man, don't trust a man, who has foregone um, this whole love life over building her career. career. Yeah. And we don't have any back story on... We don't know if she's a womanizer. I mean, womanizer. <laughs> we don't know if she, she could like, be. <laughs> she could be. We don't know if she like uses men for her own personal gains. All we know from her is that she is focused on moving and climbing up the corporate ladder. Hmm. And then Tracy Morgan says, "I don't trust a woman who doesn't have a family," which is a whole other conversation. Yeah, yeah, that we yeah. Have. Like stuff like that, which is like, <sighs> yeah. I can see like, that. Like, the movie could have really tackled better into that, those issues, instead of, I don't know, making light of it. Because mm. then what she did was, of course, what she's going to do is fake a family with the guy that she's seeing, who um, his character name is Will, played by Aldis um, Hodge. And just for y'all who don't know who Aldis is, Aldis... Um, played Noah on WGN's Underground. I don't know if you guys watched that, but I loved Underground. It got canceled. I love that Underground too, but I'm trying to figure out his character. His character with Journey Smollett. Oh. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That was him? He didn't look the same in the pr- promos. Know, like he just right? didn't. Yeah, he, he looked, looked, looked different outside yeah. his clothes. Well, no, <laughs> shut up, Brittany. <laughs> shut up. Not it. Shut up. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, but he also played um, what was he was in Hidden Figures, and then he was yes um, MC Ren in Straight Outta Compton. Okay, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, okay. thank you. Okay, um, <laughs> I forgot what I was saying about him, but his character. Oh. His character, he's a single father. Mm-hmm. And, you know, him and Taraji had a one-night stand. But what she ends up doing is, like, using him and his son to pretend like it's her family. Why to make up for this stereotype? And it's like, at the end of the day, she realized, I don't have to play into this boys club in order to be successful. She ended up starting her own firm. I was getting ready to say, why don't she just start her own firm? She, like, that she just... Up, she did end up signing the guy. Um... But then she also started her own firm. But like I said, none of this, none of these grand yeah, revelations no. about her flawed character were learned through her psychic ability to read men's thoughts. And that's so, the whole point of so the movie. So we're still left think, to think what a man want. No, actually, we do know what they want. They want they're, they're talking about farts and sex and stupid shit. Yeah, that's all pretty much. I mean, you know, I think we already know, and that's I don't want to hear it. Thinking, we don't have to. They tell us this all the time. Mm-hmm. We pretty don't much. have to read their inner thoughts. Mm-mm. They tell us exactly what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like I said, other than that, I thought this would have been a great romantic comedy. But because it's supposed to be this reimagine of what women want, it, it fell short. The mark. Okay, yeah, that's but unfortunate. That's not to say that I still don't encourage um, people to go see it. Oh, definitely go I out and support. I it was definitely. So funny. There were parts where I was laughing out loud. Oh, that's good in the movie theater, and especially in the credits because Erica's about do characters like read does a psychic reading for all of the characters, and it's just funny. We could have definitely used more of her in the film. Taraji was funny, too. Tracy Morgan, in my opinion, we could have done without. Hmm. Interesting. um, 
I'm I thought it was good. I think you should still see it. Um is it as good as what men want? I mean what women want? Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I remember me and you were having this conversation about I don't know what we were talking about, but you were saying you didn't want to see reimagine yeah white stories into black you know i just i don't think it works i just for the reasons that you just pointed out i just don't i feel that we have unique stories Uh that need to be told and that we have great stories that can be told and just taking a story that was based off of white characters and try to put black characters into the same scenarios just doesn't work it doesn't work i don't want to see it i just It doesn't, in my opinion, and it yeah, could have been a, it could have been a little bit different. Um, um, maybe if there was a white woman, but again, because she was a black woman, and then in this male industry, and we all know that black women get paid less than mm-hmm. um, even white women, yeah, right? So, yeah, like, definitely. all of those are real power dynamics and glass ceilings that black women have to face, and none of that was addressed. This is a comedy. It's not meant to be taken that seriously. Right. But I think they it should have provided some context into her character and not just the, uh, okay, we're going to flip everything on this because it doesn't work. Mm. Because the race and the gender plays too much of a different role into why it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Well, so guys. That's, that's what... what, what what women no what is this movie what What? men want yes what men want (laughs) (laughs) what men want with um taraji right Uh, it was good to see richard roundtree though that's good and he's um i did see in the previews this is a whole nother thing um the new upcoming chef movie Oh I'm Jesus kinda, Christ! No, no, no! no. I'm mm. kind of low key excited about. It. I'm not. What? And you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because I think I'm gonna stop watching trailers because as a person who understands movies and you know has a little bit more insight of how stories are developed and how they use the promos to promote the movie, I know what's going. On. I can kind of tell what you know how the story is. It's very predictable and. Either I'm going to stop watching trailers or, like, something has got to, to happen Well, here. I do think in the most recent years that trailers have shown Spoiled the whole way, damn way movie. Of the movie. Just mm-hmm. ridiculous. Like, stop it. And I can't believe you're excited for that movie. I'm not. That <laughs> shit looks stupid. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, because let me tell you why I'm excited. Because Shaft is one of the black classics. Right, I loved it. Don't get. I love the first one. I absolutely okay, loved it. Okay, did you like the one with Samuel Jackson? Yes. Okay, so what's the problem? It doesn't make sense. Yeah, do- we got grandfather's son. Which I like the granddad. That was like that nice was and spicy. Cute. But the son and the shut. I think uh, we're going to see it, you guys. We are. Um, <laughs> I was. That was the only. <laughs> that I saw that was like, yeah, shit. Oh, shit. Yeah, I saw it on the internet when I left here last week. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Okay. <laughs> All right. That just made me think of Shaft because Richard Roundtree. Right. He still look good. He does. Yes, he does. Still look good. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, let's talk about our next one um, that we're going to talk about in the spoiler alert. Yes. Is, um, trick a trick a trick a warning. This is trick a warning. On Netflix, mm-hmm. with Killer Mike. Killer Mike, um, yes. Killer Mike is a famous um, 
Underground. You you would consider him underground? Well, that's what he calls himself. He comes he considers himself an underground rapper. Yes. I don't think so. That's what he said. I didn't think so either because I knew who Why he was. Why is he selling himself short? I don't know. Well, maybe that's what he's doing. He's just being like, I think on the Breakfast Club interview or something, he just calls himself an underground rapper. I was like, I don't think, I know who you are. So if I know who you are, you can't be underground. Like Maybe he means like he's not like a- Mainstream? Uh, as mainstream Billboard as- Billboard like charts a, and stuff like that. Like maybe. Like Travis Scott or Drake yeah. or whatever, these type of- but people definitely know who Killer Mike is before mm-hmm. he was even with Run the Jewels. So Killer Mike kill all that. <laughs> so um, trigger warning is with Killer Mike, and in this six-part episode, he conducts several social experiences, mm-hmm. um, experiments, I should say, um, tackling several different issues in the black community, like. Um, Education, religion, buying black, buying black, um, white gang privilege. Yeah. <laughs> um, so critically, it, it's been reviewed and, and really well. Mm-hmm. Um, Everybody's talking about it. People are huge fans of it. Mm-hmm. Well, um, first of all, people are huge fans of Killer Mike. Of Killer Mike. Yeah. Period. So it's kind of like whatever he puts a stamp on, people are going to go check it out. You know. Right. Um, because he is a social activist, mm-hmm. um, and then he does talk about some in his uh, rap duo with Kill. Uh, I don't know the other guy with Kill the Jewels. I don't know his name oh, either. I don't, I don't really know. Care. Neither. Uh, but <laughs> they do talk about, even though this guy is a white guy, they do talk about issues in the black community mm-hmm. and they're rapping. He's unapologetically black. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is well admired. Yes. Um, although I am not a fan of trigger warning. No. Hmm. No, not at all. What did you not like about it? So at first I was just watching and I was like, <laughs> this is funny. Mm-hmm. But then as we got deeper <laughs> Girl. into the episode, I think after the Cripple Cola episode, yep. I yep. was just like, yep. Is he serious? Yeah. Like, I had to question, like, what is this show supposed to be? Right. Mm-hmm. Because I'm thinking, in my mind, it's almost like, um, I don't want to say in advance, because it's not advanced. I thought the whole thing was half-baked, in my opinion. But I'm thinking this kind of is like a different type of sketch show, like a like a. Oh wow! Okay, I guess I know why you I know why you're saying that. Like, had this been like a, a Chappelle or a Key and Peele sketch, and they were doing Cola, I'd be like, ha ha ha, that's funny, and this is also making you think about things. But because it came from social, I mean, because it came from Killer Mike, mm-hmm. I was like, is he serious? Yeah. I just think, like I said, I think it was half-baked. And if his intention was for us to get to change ideas or spark conversations, it missed the mark for me. I thought it did not achieve that at all. In fact, I was just, I thought it was, I'm going to just say it, Cooney and buffoonery. Okay, I know why you're saying that. I know exactly. Okay, because so, like, and I was give just you shocked <laughs> because I was like, this is coming from Killer Mike, who is quote unquote against all this buffoonery and 
you're seriously talking about Cola and then the whole that whole religion thing with yeah. the sleepy guy is where I was like, all right, I can't take you seriously anymore yeah. because you just playing around, and I thought you were on here to tackle some real issues, and you fucking playing games. So here's my thought. So. I was getting my life for the first three episodes. I thought it was freaking hilarious. I thought it was well put together. It was a different thought process. It's something I never thought of before and something different. So I just thought it was supposed to be used as a thought provoking kind of content, right? So in my opinion, once we got past episode three and we did the new Jesus outside the box and kill the master or kill your master, yeah. it just went downhill. So my thing, so this is my theory. I honestly think that Killer Mike had how many of these shows? Probably Living Wild Black and Fuck School in the bag. Like they, those were the probably the two shows they shot, produced well, and presented to Netflix to pick up. Okay. And okay. I think that once Those Netflix, right. Okay. And I think that once Netflix said, oh yeah, we're on, but you have X amount of days to come back with a new produced show. We need four, three more episodes, four more episodes to be able to put this out as a series. This is what you have to go do. And I think that's what the hell happened. And it went the hell downhill. But do we know, do we know of any other examples in which Netflix put those type of stipulations and time restraints on any other content creators. I've never heard of them putting deadlines on people and content creators saying, well, I didn't really get to do what I wanted to do because Netflix was pressing me. No, I haven't heard that, but I don't think people will rock the boat because it's Netflix as of right now. Honestly, I think that if they're excited that, oh my God, my show was picked up, but we have to execute, you know, and produce more shows for them. They're going to execute and produce more shows for them and get it on there. Mm-hmm. That's just my, my take on it. I just feel because the production of it, the, the same, the use of the same characters in the last three, four episodes, um, it didn't make any sense. Um, the racist white guy that was on there that said the N word, it was just ridiculous. And I thought it wasn't necessary and but you use him over and over again throughout the series and then Corey honestly thinks that the Hispanic guy who was against Cripacola and was very mm-hmm. outspoken in the focus group, he thought he was a planet um actor. He said he thinks that he they so they probably hired him to be this outspoken crazy person or whatever and planted him into that scenario. But what the man was saying was not crazy. No, it wasn't, but it was extreme compared to all the other men that were in that room also. That was really weird. That the only minority in the room is going to speak up and say something, but you have a room full of white men that say nothing. Who don't know they're being filmed, watched, or anything. So, I don't know. I, I I don't know, but I mean, do I? I hope he gets a second season, sure, because I would love for him to come back with a produ- <laughs> with a better produced show. Because the first the first one was good. Buying black, I thought that was excellent, but we honestly don't believe that he really went a whole twenty four hours. Girl, oh, of course we not. No, he, he didn't sleep. He did not sleep on that damn bench. No, we did no. not. No, I think the the fun. And he did not turn down them ribs and that plate of food. He <laughs> ate that shit right. when the cameras went off. I think the funniest episode and the one that made a little bit more sense than the rest of them was the um, the vocational one with the porn. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was funny. Now that was the that best was episode. Funny. The rest of them, I was just like, that was very funny. I'm like, are you serious, Killer Mike? Yeah, he has. Yeah, it was. It was a yeah. I don't know. 
Yeah. I, I just couldn't believe because he told them like, kids, you can't be the president. You can't tell no damn kid you can't be the and president. That's why, and that's why. How dare thing. you? I was like, is he serious? Like, you can't. Like, I was mad at that. I was like, don't fuck. Don't do that. Don't tell these kids they can't be the president. Because they can't. you know damn sure he ain't telling his kids it. Right. You need to be more realistic. No, no, you don't need not to do that to children. Don't do that. But that shit was funny, though. I laughed. <laughs> I was laughing because those kids' hearts were broke. It was funny, but then I was like, and then, but like all of that made me question, like, yeah, what is this show supposed to be about? Yeah, because what conversations are we supposed to to you know have from these? So I think that it could have been thought out well, um, a little bit better. He could have been like the guy who did, um, what's that documentary series that they did on that? Oh, and like, um. What is it? It's the fast food one about McDonald's, about the truth about McDonald's. Yeah, you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. Um, and then he did like another documentary series on like different episodes, kind of like what Killer Mike is trying to do, but it was just like a little bit more thought out in a sense. Right. And my thing is the issues that he was talking about were real issues and you have to acknowledge both sides. So let's just take the Cripple Cola example, mm-hmm. for, you know, episode for example. What those white guys were bringing up as to why they would not get this are valid points. Agreed. And he just flat out dismissed them as racist. When, which is another reason why I'm going to go with what Corey said, that all that was staged. Because I think you had you had some black people in there too, they would have voiced the same concern. Right. But I get where Killer Mike is coming from with that because the Hells Angels, they are a gang, but they're not promoted in the media as if they're I, a gang. And I agree with all that. But he should have addressed some of those concerns. If you're going to bring out some satire like this and you want to garner conversations, you have to validate all points. Honestly, my biggest concern with the Cripple Cola was the fact that it's fucking cola and you already said it kills black people and it, you know, it's diabetes and it's bad for our community. That's what pissed me off. Like, why not come up with some beet juice? Maybe not beet because it's Crips, but you get what I'm saying. Color it something like blue, blueberry juice or something. What the hell? And then it had that that blood that was like a vegan. healthy for our community something positive like come on like right. don't you, you still had something that's still not as healthy even though right. you have pure sugar cane okay it's an addictive substance right it's just but it's like it's kind of like he was trying to say well if the white people are making money off you can do this, we, we can do, do it too and well, kill well, you can. also and that's my no problem, you we can't can. and so he should have addressed I don't know. That's why I was just like, I can't take you seriously. And I'm going yeah. to stop this. Yeah. Um, it's some, it's, but it, it created dialogue, you know? I yeah. think it did. We're talking about now, Brittany. Like, and we're, we're going only, back and forth. We're only talking about it because we are, we're reviewing it for spoiler alert. Now, I ain't talking about this with nobody else in my circle because I'm saying, I don't want to hear what you got to say. I don't care what you got to say. That stuff is not good to me. And that's it. Well, there we go. We're not the type of people who need to be having these conversations with one another. Yeah. I don't think he did anything to dispel any type of stereotypes or change the way white people or other people think about black people. Oh, Killer Mike. So, when you get your second season, because I know you're going to get a second season, he's going to get a second season. He's going to get a second season. 
like I this said, did really well. It did well critically. Yeah, it did. It was everywhere. And like I'm everyone sure was talking about it. The unfortunate thing is Netflix does not uh, no release, release there. Sh- yeah, no, their data. data. Uh-uh. Nope. So we don't mm-hmm. know how well it streamed. No, or any and of we that. won't. We'll know if whether or not he gets canceled or he gets another season. That's how we'll know for sure. That's the only way. The only way we know how well things do on um, Netflix is through social media. If it's streamed. that too, that too. And um, according to you all, you loved it. And, uh, <laughs> this is funny as shit. Y'all loved it. It's a bunch of people. You know what? I'm going to say that. Hated it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm all for, um, you know, black content. Yeah, definitely. Even though I was not a fan. So. <laughs> um, those are two on spoiler alert. Yes. What men want mm-hmm. and, and trigger warning. Trigger warning. Tr- 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 awesome. Okay, guys, that just about wraps up the show for today. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our pages on all streaming services for podcasts at Black and Behind the Scenes. And until next time, I'm Antoinette. And I'm Ricky. And we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.